Hello and finally welcome to the Undercut Podcast review of the Italian Grand Prix. It's been a bit of a while waiting for this one, sorry. I sort of got back from Italy quite late, uh, immediately fell into a huge amount of work for my other job, and then the Goodwood Revival, and then 4,000 pictures from that that needed editing for work, and finally found time to edit the podcast. So, sorry it's a bit late, but we'll, we'll, we'll do better later, trust me. Anyways, enjoy the podcast. Very lovely, mate. <laughs> Great race set again. Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. We're back once again, and this time it is time to review the Italian Grand Prix. I'm Jesse Vincent, your host, and I've not long got back from Italy myself, having watched the Grand Prix in person, so sort of mixed views for me especially, but it's not all about me tonight. I'm, as ever, joined by my co-hosts, Ellie Mae Taylor and Timo Albus Daly. How are you both? Good, thank you. And I will just say, I would never commit so many offences that would mean I was banned from a podcast. <laughs> The history books would say otherwise. You weren't present for the last recordings. So, well, uh, I mean, that's we did. because I was watching Jason Donovan wearing next to nothing, doing an Elvis impersonation. So, what you got to <laughs> <be> after <laughs> being after choice. being getting too many penalty points? So you had to go and drown your sorrows somewhere. And fair enough, Jason Donovan isn't a bad way to go and do that. So it's completely understandable why you'd turn to that in, a, in your moment of grief. I think. Was Roy Nassani there as well, serving his race ban? I hope he wasn't doing the same thing Jason Donovan was. I don't want to see that. (laughs) Anyway, before we get completely sidetracked with that, we'll head on to our review of the Italian Grand Prix and start off with our little section of what the hell has happened. And we'll kick off with um, something that Ferrari probably shouldn't have done given the curse of special liveries, but they seem to pull it off fairly well. Their special livery... By their standards, and the standards of special liveries at least, uh, we had bright yellow race suits and a big yellow streak along the top of the airbox and an engine cowl on the car. It looked pretty good, to be fair. The, it was all right. That black rear wing with the yellow Ferrari logo, absolutely loved it. Frame it, have it as a fridge magnet. 10 out of 10, loved it. I also really it did remind me of the the Honda when it's on the Red Bull, and I feel like that should be a mandatory thing for all of the teams to have either their name on the rear wing or something very substantial like Honda in Red Bull's case there, because it just it works very nicely, and you could then market the crap out of that accordingly and just have like number plate versions of that, and you could the merchandise take care of itself. It was just beautiful. The rest of it was nice as a one-off, but. I think they need to keep that rear wing. It'd be nice if they kept the rear wing. The rest of the look was pretty good, to be fair. And they didn't seem to suffer too much of the standard special livery curse. Not as we'd seen with the when McLaren ran... Well, McLaren did all right when they ran the golf livery. But previously, when we see teams running their special liveries, it always seems to hit Mercedes as well. Um, 
There seems to be a bit of a curse around those. But I would say perhaps with Ferrari it's a case of curse of one-off liveries and their usual cursing of themselves and two negatives cancelling each other out and making a somewhat of a positive. Yeah, we had a sort of cosine and sinusoidal wave colliding and both sort of cancelling each other out there to produce a complete net zero of just sort of Ferrari decent performance, but maybe, we'll get maybe to this their is rest the strategy they can take for the rest of the season, and they have just continuous one-off liveries to try and counterbalance their own self-cursing. Maybe it's because I was they wearing my yellow. My yellow. I wasn't wearing yellow. My Ferrari T-shirt. That might have done it. That might have been it, the trick. Anyway, we'll move on to the talk about Ferrari's performance later on, I'm sure. But we've got a few bits and pieces to talk about with the rest of the grid, because, of course, there's still silly season rumbling away in the background. We've got drivers moving around, drivers without contracts, and potentially drivers without super licenses, because Colton Herter is the only driver Red Bull is reportedly interested in for an Alpha Tauri seat, uh, which means they're A, skipping over a lot of fairly good academy drivers, and... Uh, the FIA is saying they won't bend the super license rules because Herter won't have enough super license points to partake, although they're looking at potentially getting him into a few FP1 sessions. There's only two things I can really say on that one, one of which is we'd be defending Red Bull, but only ever so slightly, and that is the only driver that they have really that they could put into that Alpha Terry is Liam Lawson, because everyone else is either not ready yet or is not good enough. Um, which I can delve into in excruciating detail at some other point. Um, but there's also the matter of the way the super license points are allocated is very odd. And if you take three drivers, Colton Hurts and Roy Desani and Jamie Chadwick as examples there, you somehow get Roy Desani who keeps getting FP1 sessions for some reason. Jamie, who is forced to either take them but then can't go anywhere, and then can't get any more for any more W Series title shoe wins, and Cognato can win races and get some, but not enough to actually do anything with them, and can't then get into an F2 or something. So it all seems very disjointed and not a great way of dishing out those those points, but I think the biggest loser in that is the Red Bull Driver Academy, and especially Liam Lawson, where, okay, he didn't win the title this year, but he's had quite a decent run since the summer break, and he then was in the Red Bull earlier this season, earlier season as well. And, I mean, Yuki came third, and Lawson could still get third in the championship. So why not at least consider him? Why say Herter is the only driver you're interested in? And also nothing against Herter, but having watched all of IndyCar this year, there's many other drivers I would rather take an interest in. Yeah, I don't... Yeah really understand what's so special about him that Red Bull think that they can just void the super license points? Yeah, there's I, potentially there's some money behind it, potentially there's the availability of it, the fact that he's quite young and they can sort of, they've got enough time to shape him into a Red Bull driver, they reckon they could sort of eventually put him toe-to-toe with Max. It could be any number of reasons, but again, it's trying to figure out the inner workings of Helmut Marco's mind, which is a scary and worrying process. But when it comes to the super license thing, you've got to remember that points expire after a while as well. So if you, you can accrue them to get your license, but you've got to get so many points within a certain time frame. Mm. And obviously, if you're not accruing them at a fast enough rate, i.e. doing things like W Series or IndyCar, 
your older points eventually fade away. So Colton Herter will be his region left four stuff. That will eventually lapse and won't count anymore. His old Indy Light stuff won't count anymore. So he's got to find a way of getting a lot more points in a very short space of time to be granted his super license, which will mean things like FP1 drives and, yeah, perhaps winning a few a series or two and maybe even having to do F2 to try and get into it. So it's it's a very strange process, but I like the fact the FIA are... Especially this year, they seem to be really taking a fairly strong stance when it comes to saying, no, these are the rules we have in place, and we're going to do these rules. Obviously, we saw it with the safety car, we'll get to that, but it seems to be that the FIA is trying to pull itself into a proper line of sort of continuity. One of the other flip sides to this is arguing for Colton Herter is the super license was bought in to prevent people sort of getting into the sport who are slow, dangerous, unsafe on track, who are only there because they're able to stump up the cash to get into the sport. I don't think Colton Herter is the sort of driver that a super licence was invented or brought in to prevent. He's got the nous, he's got the talent, the speed, the sensibility on track. He had a private test with McLaren earlier on this season and was, by all accounts, damned fast, if any of the leaked data is to be believed. He was looking pretty speedy. So I don't think he's the sort of driver that would appear on the grid. Everyone go, why is he here? And then he drives around four seconds off the pace every lap, and you're going, yeah, why is he here? So it's also it's, the first it's, time an IndyCar driver six, has been looked at so other. seriously to come into F1. It, yeah, it, usually it goes the other way. You sort of wrap up F1 and then go do sort of IndyCar and you or you do or cart use as it used to be called. But now it seems to be the fact that sort of both have drawn each other level, and you can sort of bounce between the two. But at the same time, that does reopen the door for the names of sort of Callum Eilot and uh, Christian Lungard, who Christian Lungard, who won Rookie of the Year in uh, very this season, very nicely done as well. Very good said. drive. His, I didn't see this late yesterday's race, but the race prior to that was a very good drive from Lungard. So very good drive from yeah. last night as well. It's got to be said. It's um, Eilot had a bit of bad luck, admittedly, but I think Lungard had it regardless of what Eilot could have done there. But both of them very impressive in showing again why second and third places in F2 should count for something. Even if it's not a seat, you should at least get a reserve driver role or something. At least be able to get a couple more FP1 sessions before you are discredited or discounted accordingly. Yeah. Speaking of reserve driver roles, we'll shuffle it on quickly so we're not sort of stuck too long on the matter. Um, obviously, Drungovic wrapped up the F2 Championship this weekend with a DNF, weirdly enough. Uh, so consistent and outstanding was his performance across the season that he had enough points that all he needed to do was just hope Teo Bocher didn't get any points. Maybe that's a reflection uh, for a uh, prediction we can have for Max. <laughs> Yes, yeah, very much a prediction for Max as well later on. But uh, yeah, Drugovic wrapped up the F2 Championship, won the title and has now bagged himself a Aston Martin test driver seat and uh, first member of the Aston Martin Driver Academy. So lots of promising things there for him and it does mean he's at least finally tied to a team. One we've already been always really been mentioning on the podcast is if he's going to end up with an F1 team, it was likely going to be Aston Martin. It's interesting as well that it's their first driver for their driver academy. Um, not saying that Hulkenberg couldn't be there, but interesting that Jessica Hawkins nowhere to be seen there. She's just labelled as a driver ambassador, which seems to be a bit of a interesting title, especially for any future advances in motorsport in that particular arena. Um, 
you'd think it'd be a good time to shoehorn her in there as well to show that you're committed to both of them. Because otherwise I'm not entirely sure what role Aston Martin play for her in her future, especially if she's looking to come up through the ranks. Yeah, I think she's got a little while longer till she gets to a similar sort of super po- super license points level, a career level where she can move into it. To counter that, though, McLaren have a, what, a 10-year-old or something in, in their driver academy. He's the only driver there is about 10 or 12 years old, and they don't seem to have any problem with doing that, so why should Aston Martin have trouble with a fully-fledged and fully-established racing driver? Yeah, I mean, Mercedes have the same thing. They've got a young karting protege, can't remember his name, who's coming through. Sort of Lewis there. Hamilton's been backing. And obviously, Alpine have got, um, what's it, Alice Powell Jr., yeah, Abby <laughs> Pulling uh, in there as well. So it's it's doable. It's just weird that Aston Martin have done it the way they're doing it. Potentially, they'll see how, or they'll use Drogovic as a test bed to pull Jess Hawkins into it, I think. That's optimistically speaking on behalf of Jess Hawkins. Or was there a test session where Jessica Hawkins comfortably beat Lance Droll then <laughs> over a test session and they've just quietly put the sidelines and they'll do the same with Drogovic when that happens as well? Yeah, someone printed out the data from the sim rig and uh, it didn't look good for young Stroll. So uh, we'll see. But anyway, congratulations to Drogovic. I'm sure it's something we'll talk about in our F2 triple header review at some point tomorrow evening when we record that but it won't be tomorrow evening when you listen to this because time. Um, moving on to a different point. Uh, Hamilton says Ricciardo deserves to stay in Formula 1. Semi-joked he wants him in a reserve role at Mercedes. Place your bets now, people. I think that yeah, will probably I mean, again, it's just... Go on. I think that will probably happen, to be honest. I think Ricciardo's already decided to the fact that he's not going to be in F1 next year. He's going to have a year out and hopefully come back then in 2020. So I think Mercedes is a good place to be a reserve driver because then you've also got Williams, maybe Aston Martin. It kind of opens up the pool for him in terms of sort of Mercedes-powered engines. And I think that, I mean, Lewis was saying that if they could have a third seat, he would convinced Toto in a heartbeat to sign him up for that, which, again, just shows that everyone up and down the grid, well, we've had everyone saying now, on, on driver-wise, that he deserves to stay there. And it's just kind of crazy that all these other names, like Hockenberg, Giovinazzi, and everyone else, is being debated for all these seats. And Ricardo, you don't hear too much about that. It does seem a little ridiculous that he doesn't get priority over them when he's an established Grand Prix winner and is the last person in Red Bull to consistently beat Max Verstappen. Um, Okay, a little while ago, but uh, still stands the point. It's kind of like Nico Rothberg. Yeah, he beat Michael Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton's own car, but that still shouldn't be something that is just swept aside so easily, you know? Um, So I don't see why Ricardo's getting that same treatment. I don't think he's getting swept aside. I think he... I don't want to say he's being sort of prissy or pretentious, but equally, when you're a driver of that calibre, you're not going to be looking at these bottom-tier teams to go into. Um, But they could be trying to get him and talk about him and mention him more often in conversation. They could be, but he could equally at the same time be shutting them down just as fast. It really depends on sort of where the conversations are lying between who and who's managing who and who's trying to get what phone, what door. It's it's such a complicated thing to try and sort of pull apart especially when nothing is clear until the very last second and even then as we've seen this season that doesn't always mean it's as clear as you think it is so 
yeah, Ricardo's future uncertain, but it definitely seemed like he's taking a year out next Go year. Go to IndyCar for a year. There we go. IndyCar for a year, we'll see what he does. I wouldn't be surprised if potentially he sticks with McLaren and does IndyCar, just uses that to keep his hand in, keep some like, super license points, keep some racing going. Because, as we've already mentioned, it's a good series and it's definitely one worth going over to if you need to do some racing. This is going to sound weird, but I think if you're going to be kind of unsuccessful in one Formula 1 team, weirdly, if you look historically, McLaren's the one to be kind of unsuccessful in and you get a second chance from, like Sergio Perez and Kevin Magnussen. What yeah, quite the gap yeah. between them going from McLaren to another team to get redemption, though, at the same time. Like, if you look at how long it took Perez to actually be in a card that was decent, it was only then 2020, and Magnussen arguably never has had a good car. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Magnussen, he had his Renault days, they were all right, but then it sort of dipped after that, really, when he ended up when going to Haas after sort of his Renault days. He's never had that strong drive. His, his best Perry, race was his first one, and it's gone downhill ever since. Yeah, it's been a tricky one. And Perez has been very fortunate with his Red Bull drive, and equally, I think that's why he's putting in a huge graft to try and keep hold of that seat, because he knows that he's never going to get a seat of that calibre again. And I wouldn't be surprised if when he finishes at Red Bull, he finishes at Formula 1. would be interesting as well, one final point on that, before we actually talk about the Italian Grand Prix. Um, bless you, Jesse, who is sneezing quietly in case anyone can hear that. Um, now he turns off his microphone. Um, in 24, if Ricardo does take a year out, and if Red Bull still aren't satisfied with their crop of drivers coming up, never mind into AlphaTauri, let alone Red Bull, maybe we do see Ricardo go back there, because that's just the only option left available for both of them. And if they're still as good as they are at the moment, which we've got no reason to think that they would have such a dramatic decline anytime soon, who knows? That could be quite an actual reality. Well, if Colton Herter can't, if Red Bull can't get Colton Herter in because of his super license points, why don't they just put Danny Rick in that other Alpha Tauri and then, how long Sergio Perez's contract? Is it just one year? The end of next year runs out, I think. Yeah, he's got another year on that one. I thought it was perhaps end of 2024, I thought. I can't remember if it was the start or end of 2024. No, it's 2024 related. Jesse quickly Googles and finds this out while Ellie May and I put in some filler. He could be in contention for that. And I... Part of me thinks... I know Perez is doing a good job, but he's not doing as good a job as he was at the start of the year. And I wonder whether, this is going a bit off tangent, but I wonder whether they signed a contract with Perez a bit too early. I think it's more a case of they've, they're doing to him what they did to Mark Webber. In that you've got a great driver, but unfortunately you're next to Sebastian Vettel, or in this case Max Verstappen. So as much as you might want to do well, you're not going to. We, you, you have some success. You can win. You can win Mexico. You can win Monaco. You can have a couple of other nights, but you can't have a championship because we've got to have that for Max or Sebastian, and that's non-negotiable. That's in the invisible ink part on the back of the contract that you can't see, but you've signed, so it's too late. Yeah. But equally with Red Bull, they've got Perez till end of twenty twenty four. Yeah, twenty twenty four, and I think they signed that and Perez signed that because he wanted to still be driving Formula One. He still wanted to be racing with a competitive team, and I think he 
was happy to take that second role if it meant that he was on the podium every now and then occasionally with the odd race win if that's what's keeping him happy if that's what he wants to achieve from the sport if he wants to get constructors titles two things on that he is the man for your job is that one shows how much confidence Red Bull have in their junior academy if they're not willing to put anyone into that second Red Bull season until 2025 at the earliest and second if that is Perez's motive of success in Formula 1 kind of feels a bit short especially as he's saying earlier this season that he thinks he could win a championship and if he suddenly well not suddenly had a change up but gradually has a change how like you're satisfied with the occasional podium then are you really a racing driver if you're not trying desperately to always get that win I mean Lewis has seven titles and you saw how peeved he was at Zandvoort and you think the guy's got more wins in history than anyone and he still is that annoyed when he doesn't win you think Perez having less than 10 to his name would be a little more enthusiastic about trying to add a couple more to it yeah it uh, it depends on how Perez views this, whether he views this as a job and a career, or if he views this simply as a chance to go racing, it depends what how. Well, if it's, if it's that view for racing, it kind of goes against Formula One a bit because it feels like it does, you're there yeah. at the top and you shouldn't be there unless you are willing to go all out for it. If you just want to be racing, go and be a customer for Porsche in some endurance racing or something where it's you can still get to the podium, but they don't mind as much because they've got their factory teams, but they've got their customer teams as well. Formula One doesn't have that and you've got people who are better qualified and is more deserving of a seat then yeah it's it's forming a bottleneck it but at the same time he's still producing some good action on track I don't know it's a good or great it's a very I'm going to keep bringing that until (laughs) it happens yeah it's a very odd one and it'll be interesting to see how he goes whether or not eventually Perez might decide look this is final year I'm going for a championship and then he'll dip and we'll see but uh, that's all still to be decided we'll move on to a bit more of the actual action from the circuit obviously we saw our podium Verstappen, Leclerc, Russell that was our top three bit of a surprising top three or do we think that was how it was going to pan out regardless of grid penalties I th- pretty much business as usual no? yeah pretty predictable really <laughs> Ferrari managed to mess up slightly therefore not both of their cars are up there. Mercedes immediately there with at least one car to capitalise and Max does what Max does. Yeah, I mean, it took one lap for him to get up to third place already, so it wasn't really going to be much longer before he got past the relatively slow Mercedes and then it was just a case of getting past Ferrari. When you say Ferrari made a mistake, I would say pitting under that early VSC was a mistake. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they did that. They pulled an undercut way too early if that was what their plan was. For, for a podcast called The Undercut Podcast, we do not approve of such a ballsy undercut. <laughs> yeah, this does not get the undercut stamp of approval because it, it was just too early and it was it pulled them into having to either hope for a full VSC or a VSC or a full safety car later on. And they did get that, but the circumstances didn't pan out for it. And they, they pulled a gamble that could have worked. They could have walked away from that looking like absolute dons had it worked. It's it's the but, kind of call they should have made at several other races and didn't. And the one time they yeah. should have just stuck to the plan but, was the one time that they didn't. But, yeah, it's all, all a bit arse about tip, really, with their sort of strategy on this one. But, yeah, we'll move on to that safety car last few lap drama. And we've just put discuss in the notes. So who wants to open up on this one? Ladies first. I, well... 
I firstly think that they sh shouldn't have, um, when the cherry picker came out and was hoisting Ricardo's car, I think it was incredibly dangerous to have cars going past whilst that was moving. But at the same time, I don't think the sort of Ricardo pulling over warranted a red flag because the red flag is more for there's barriers damaged, there's too much debris on track. It's a red flag is for safety and it's not for racing or like no, but there's a car on track with marshals that need to get on there to move it and a cherry picker and it's in it's in a place on the track where it's not easy to get to because of it being on a long straight. So it wouldn't need to be a long red flag. It would just be a case of it's a quicker way to get this sorted whilst we still have however, what, 10 laps maybe was it? Um, it was 10 laps and we lost pretty much all of them basically under the safety. Yeah, and again... Just because then you could have that. That's already 10 laps. The sprint race for Formula 3 was 18 laps. You can still get a decent amount of racing done in that time, change tyres for everyone if they want it so it's fair across the board. So there's not really an advantage. It's just about going pure racing and you've not risked anything unnecessarily. Uh, the problem is, is we only had a few laps left when they decided that the cherry picker needs to come out. Because initially they thought they could just push Ricardo's car off the track. So That should have been something that they should have known sooner, in my opinion, because it's not like it's their first rodeo. I feel like, I don't, I don't want to blame the marshals for it, but whoever was in, the, in charge of knowing that, like you can't think that that was going to, you can see the distance to wherever it needs to go, and it's an F1 car, unless you've got the rock next to you to help out and you're not just going to pick that up and carry it over you're going to know immediately i mean they have other times where they they have a crane meter they don't even bother trying to to push it anyway they just immediately plonk go off there why they thought they could push it this time and that would be quicker somehow i'm not entirely sure so i feel like it was just organizationally not sound i think the idea they had with pushing it meant that they thought if they brought the tractor out to get the car out that was going to cause a red flag and they didn't want to have to red flag the race they wanted to keep it under safety car and just push it the cars have a remote neutral button on them so somewhere along the front end of the car outside of the cockpit there is a remote neutral switch as well as a remote uh, kill switch for the engine and a remote fire extinguisher that marshals don't even have to run up and reach inside the cockpit for they can just run up to the car and literally hit essentially it's flush with the top of the count the sort of nose of the car and just hit a, basically a, a flush button that will knock the car into neutral but that either failed or in ricardo's breakdown it locked the gearbox and it was stuck in a driving gear meaning you couldn't push it again if that failed that's a pretty quick task if that's failed the first thing you're doing is throwing is literally getting on the radio to race control saying throw a red flag we're getting a tractor on circuit it's a constant thing of safety we've seen it in so many different single seater racing series this year but think back to the start of the formula e season going around jeddah where we had cars racing past a it was i'm fairly certain it was saudi arabia at the start of the season in formula e we had cars racing past a tractor moving a car on circuit and it was 
perilously unsafe around a very tight street circuit. You multiply that up to the speeds and the forces of a Formula One car going around somewhere called the Temple of Speed, and all of a sudden you've got a big problem, especially when you add into account you've got eight marshals on track, plus you've got a lot of cars that are now going down to cold tyres behind a safety car coming out of a chicane. I don't think having those cars going past was a safe move. And that's where the thing is. If you want, if you if you're going to argue the safety point, you have to have the red flag. If you want to argue for good racing, you still have the red flag. Both outcomes here rely on them stopping the race, putting everyone in the pits, getting the car out of the way as soon as possible. Because there were points where they were wait, they had the car hooked up on the crane, and were waiting for the queue of cars to come past. But eventually they said no because the queue is still so dispersed. They had to get that tractor moving while there were still cars actually coming past in a line. They were trying to wait and do it as safely as possible. That opportunity wasn't going to arrive within that 10-lap window they had. And as a result, it became a bit of a shambles. If you had red-flagged it, it would have been neater. It's almost like we're having the same discussion we had about Abu Dhabi. If you had red-flagged it, it would have been neater. You'd have had a fair race to the end. Nobody comes away feeling annoyed. Sat in a grandstand, surrounded by Italian fans. We see Ricardo stop. We're like, yes, it's going to be a safety car. They can't get the car pushed. Red flag red flag it and then you can see everyone going they're not red flagging it okay potentially there'll be some pitting on the safety car that'll be good we'll get some racing we'll get some racing there are only being there are many many red flags being waved but just all by the wrong people yeah by sort of fans everyone everyone was sort of calling literally shouting red flag red flag and it it wasn't going to happen and the the fact is that it hampered the racing, it hampered safety. It was a double whammy that really could have been easily avoided because, for whatever reason, race control didn't make the right call. And, yeah, you everyone jokes about flashbacks to Abu Dhabi, but here we are trying to follow the rules and we're still not... Well, again, it's interesting. It I'll just let F3 have a slight cameo in the F1 podcast. The exact same thing happened in their feature race um, before... Their champion was crowned, and he was even saying, because I won't spoil it just in case you didn't watch yet, um, he was saying he was having flashbacks to Abu Dhabi as well, and they, oh, God, don't do to me what they did to him. Um, and it was, again, there was a crash around the second Lesmo, and they needed to red flag that, and it took them a little bit to do that. They had the safety car for a bit, and then they did it, and then it finished under that, and then it was still a thing messing around with, with time penalties slightly, but it was neater at least um and the f3 was really neat because equally they knew they had barrier repairs to do in that section that was the thing that really defined it was they knew they had to do these barrier repairs which is always an immediate red flag and at that point they said if we restart the race now we're going to have this knock-on time issue all the way through the weekend or the rest of sunday which they would have done especially with f2 which had um, there stuff happening. And loads of stoppages. Porsche Super Cup, even that wasn't clean. There was a little safety car going around for a bit of that as well. And then obviously that delays into Formula One, and they can't do that to the Golden Boy of the Sunday. What, what I think so, you're trying to say, though, is is that Ric- you you blame Ricardo, and he should have crashed properly. And then we could he have, have had this whole sorted and out. Caused it a red flag. Yeah, why he didn't aim for a bit of barrier and just basically stuff it as opposed to park it up. Is, is the problem here. Or we should have done what Ricard, what Vettel did in the opening lap, so just basically park it right in front of a Marshall's point where they could just haul it backwards and job done. But anyway, we'll move on from moaning about Daniel Ricciardo's 
ongoing problems with his McLaren, which they eventually just left hanging from the crane in the trees. Kind of weird that it was just sort of left suspended. It looked like an art installation. Um, we'll move on to... We'll talk about the Monza curse and the fact that it seems to continue following on a bit from Daniel Ricciardo. Because, of course, he won last year, retires this year. Last year, Pierre yes. Gasly retires. But the year before, he had won the race. And, and the same from Charles Leclerc. The Charles Leclerc in the previous year. So, so I already know one of my predictions for next year's Italian Grand Prix, which would be Max Verstappen DNFs. Verstappen did the reverse. You should. He crashed and then won. I, this is very we funny. can only find out if that's effective next year, so it's going to be a long-term thing. <laughs> going to have to set up the Google Sheets for that one immediately and get some predictions in. But anyway, the Monza curse continues. And speaking of more bad luck, um, obviously we saw Nick De Vries on the track in FP1, but racing for Aston Martin. And we saw that is, that is bad luck, of all the cars to get to drive. Of all the cars to get to drive, Aston Martin. Then we saw him out again in FP3, but this time in a Williams, that he didn't know he'd be driving until 45 minutes prior, uh, because Alex Albon was taken ill on Saturday with appendicitis. And he took pretty bad with appendicitis actually they rushed him off he had laparoscopic keyhole surgery for it but then also suffered complications under anaesthetic as well so he had a a pretty rough time of it so uh, we wish him well with his recovery and uh, his instagram post about it was actually quite funny as well it was uh, uh cons missing racing uh pros weight reduction for singapore cool scars so yeah best uh, best of luck and uh, we wish you well alex albon Leads us neatly into our winners and spinners because we've already been talking for nearly 40 minutes. We haven't got to this section yet. So we'll rattle on. Timo, your winner. I thought I'd go for an unsung hero of the season this time around and give Lando Norris a shout out because, again, he's just a little bit like Mercedes in some ways. He's quietly just there a lot of the time. And, again, he had a fairly decent race. What was it? Sixth in the end, around there. Um... And top 10 anyway, 6th, 7th place, and just solid bag of points, and he just keeps doing that, and with the bad luck that Ricardo has, he's helping to, to maximise the damage that they can do to Alpine, especially when Alonso has a retirement. Um, so, 7th place, which, you know, not too bad, I think, when you consider that you've got essentially all of the top three teams ahead of you, you are best of the rest then. So, it's more than fair. Um, yeah, London Norris just deserves it. Which just punching it in, punching it out, and then hopefully we just do the same again next time and better luck next year. What I will argue with Lando and Monza, and it annoyed me, was that okay, Lando qualified ahead of Daniel Ricciardo, but he got a poor start off the line. Ricciardo was ahead of him for the entire race, and then they decided to try and jeopardize Ricardo's race for Lando trying to make I, him I go refer slower. You back to my my Red Bull comment about Mark Webber from earlier but in McLaren form <laughs> they're not interested in Ricardo doing well so <laughs> we'll screw him up because we want Lando to to do well Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think they did have team orders at one point as well down at McLaren so as well as result looks strong uh it's fast beginning to look like his strong results are coming potentially at the detriment of Danny Ricciardo. Regular listeners ultimately, but for me to say that is quite an odd one. Ultimately though not Lando's fault. He can only do not what Lando's he can fault. do in the car and he's still got to drive the car home to get into those points and 
if he happens to get past Ricardo in the process on the rare occasions that he's behind him, then he's going to do that. Again, he's a racing driver. He, you need to beat your teammate first before anyone else in Formula 1 because that's your greatest opponent. So it, it's easy. blame McLaren, don't blame Norris is my kind of counter-up. It's easy to beat your teammate when your team are jeopardising your other teammate. That's neither here nor there at the moment. Before we go down that rabbit hole once again, I will say someone who had a better drive than Lando Norris through the weekend, Carlos Sainz. Not someone you often think about as being sort of a rapid overtaker, but obviously huge back-of-the-grid penalty for him, along with about half the other rest of the grid with back-of-the-grid penalties. Um, really rocketed through the field, actually. Did a pretty monstrous job on that opening stint. I think he only pulled, like, one or two pit stops and ran for a very long time in that opening stint, just making up places, consistently getting past people, making some good moves as well into turn one. Some properly mature stuff from him. And you, Again, that's the bit of Carlos Sainz that you look at and go... That's why Ferrari signed you. That's the drive they're looking for. And yeah, to get he was top five finish, wasn't he? I think for yeah. Carlos Sainz. So decent job Fourth for him place. there. And yeah, so not da- damn close to a podium. And again, his pace was pretty good. And his qualifying looked like he could have probably pinched pole as, as well if he really, really went for it. But I think he was ju- he was basically in Q three to give Charles Leclerc the toe. And he also made his own strategy. Solid job. He also made his own strategy call. Which is the way to do it with Ferrari. Yeah, that is the the way to do it. We obviously saw again with Charles them going, we're thinking about plan C, plan C, and you're thinking, oh God, just make the decision or either make him make the decision. Just don't have a constant discussion about it because it never goes well. Speaking of people who did go well, Ellie May. Nick DeVries... I mean, you get called up at last minute by Williams and say, hi, can you drive for us? He does, so he goes faster than Latifi to qualify, what was it, 13th? Gets promoted to 8th, which is a side-by-side to Max Verstappen. And then so Jesse, when was the last time we had two Dutch drivers on the same row in the grid? There's the statistic for you to find out for some future point. I don't think we've ever had two Dutch drivers in Formula it's One. It's too easy. Can't tell them that just yet. We've got to make them go and research it first. No, I'm fairly certain it's probably happened back in the sixties or something when we used to have like Formula Libre and F two on the same grid, but yeah, that would be probably stretching it. I don't I don't think it's happened. Again, I didn't have like the full sort of race fact commentary from the track side because most of it was in Italian and my Italian is ropey at best. But yeah, then he put in... He put in a brilliant race. I mean, he lost, what, just the one position at the start of the race whilst Latifi was in 10th and went down to 14th, then just carried on going backwards and finished... 15th? 17th, I think. I think he finished... I thought he finished 15th out of 16 drivers. I was probably not counting a couple of the DNFs there. Yeah, fair point. Um, Yeah, he's ultimately put himself into 20th place out of... In a a 20-driver championship, but with 22 drivers in the standings, and has proved in one race why he deserves that seat more than the two people he's in front of. I mean, yeah. there's not much more he can do on his CV to be like, 
give me an F1 seat. And, and he's also a world champion in his own right before that. <laughs> yeah, he is an FIA motorsport world in champion. In two different I mean, yeah, sports he, uh, as well. Not sports, but series. Yeah, well, classes, yeah. I knew, I knew a team at Wimbledon. Yeah, Latifi did come home ahead of Kevin Magnussen, but Magnussen seemed to be struggling all weekend. He had a I poor think race. he did have some damage as well. He had a very bad race indeed, but yeah, DeVries had a pretty pretty stonking weekend, to be fair, given how late it started for him. Literally, sort of, the he was watching the F3 podium and someone from Mercedes, I think it was Vowles called him up, Vowles called him up and said, could you pop down to the garage quickly? We need to have a chat. And you're sort of thinking... Christ, I do find on? it amusing that they call him to the Mercedes garage, don't meet him at the Williams one, so he goes running <laughs> to one end of the garage and then goes all the way down to the other end. It's like, why? Perhaps. Gets him warmed up. Perhaps Lewis gave him his scooter to get there quicker. Yeah. The other thing is, obviously, he had the inverse problem that George Russell had when he deputised for Lewis Hamilton. You've got to bear in mind, Alex Albon is about six foot tall. I think he's a hair over six foot tall. Nick DeVries is about four foot nothing. So trying to fit him into a car that's been... No wonder I had a brake pedal in this. Like, you can bloody reach him. Yeah, they, they must have had to sort of do a quick change of a lot of the setup on that car to get it fitted for DeVries. And I mean, admittedly, he is the official reserve driver for Williams as well as Aston Martin and um Mercedes as well so they've probably got suits and boots and helmets for him that wouldn't have been too much of an issue but the setup and equally having driven earlier on that weekend a car with a very different steering wheel setup a very different drivability very different pit crew very different sort of pit garage to pull into to immediately change that the next day go out and set a pretty decent fp3 time and then absolutely smash out qualifying to be able to change that mindset, to be able to delve into essentially knowing how to drive three F1 cars and pull out the right bits of information while doing 200 miles an hour around Monza is pretty good. Does also give the guy credit for what he did. of George Russell-esque in that if that's what he can do and essentially what Albon can do in a car that is not great, imagine what those two can do when you give them a bit of a better vehicle to play with. I... Yeah, I mean, it's... It's done a lot, especially if there's any De Vries doubters out there, especially after his F2 campaign, which took him a little while to get through F2, and eventually he did win it. But admittedly, the only person he was really fighting for that year was Latifi. Interestingly. Even then, it was fairly close between Latifi and De Vries, I think, from that year of F2. But I think it shows that De Vries has furthered his driving since then. I think this is the important thing is... He has excelled himself as a driver and he has developed a lot. Like the coaching he's had from Mercedes, the time he spent in Formula E, where he's learned to sort of put together a championship battle and to drive on track, has done him a huge amount of favours. So I yeah, think kudos to the little guy. I think the only silver lining you can take from the fact that Ricardo may not have a seat in F1 next year and that there's sort of talks about him being Mercedes reserve driver is that Mercedes need to fill a gap because Nick de Vries has already got an F1 seat. I still don't like the price we've had to pay for it. No, but it's the the little silver lining. The little silver lining. I mean, de Vries might have an F1 seat as early as Singapore if some of the rumours are to be believed. Uh, we'll it's just Alex Elbon not getting better. <laughs> as quick as he wants. No, that's not on Albon's recovery. <laughs> They've He's... Looking to make a pretty swifty recovery on that one. This is uh, 
potentially the disappearance of card number six from the grid. And we haven't seen a mid-season change since Albon at Red Bull. Since so. Albon, twenty. Yeah, so it's, it's funny been a little while, but so I just kind of I don't know if I see it happening or not. It seems too. Williams doing it. I could, yeah, I can. See it's yeah, theoretically doable, but I just don't see F one being that F one. There's enough chance for Williams to bag a few more points and take ninth away from Aston Martin in the standings. I don't see why they wouldn't do it if they've got the confidence in De Vries. Which is very... what that prize money's going to mean. It. I guess it just. Which is a very nice. I'm trying to do a segue. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, no, say your things, say your things and we'll finish off. Christ. I'll edit that, don't worry. Um, I'm not even sure what I was going to say anymore. What was I going to say? Nah, yeah, yeah. Um, De Vries uh, taking over Latifi's role, going into Singapore, Williams taking over, um, not P9 from Aston Martin. I guess it depends all on how much they have to pay Latifi to get him out of his contract and weighing that up with how much money they'll win if they risk trying to get was it ninth in the constructors? Pete, yeah, ninth. Whether Oof. they'll be able to essentially break even in that deal will be the interesting thing. But all I'll say is it's been a few could... years since there's been a maple syrup heist in Canada. So yeah, and equally, it would take away P nine from Aston Martin, someone who really didn't have a good weekend. No, very nice to get into the spinner section because double DNF for Aston Martin. Uh, Vettel, that the circuit where he got his first Grand Prix win. Ended his final one at Monza with a DNF and Stroll. I'm not entirely sure what happened there. I think he just it just didn't work for him again, and something went bang inside the car and just had to retire it. And they just weren't particularly impressive at all this season. This, this season, I meant to say this weekend, but the season as well, to be fair. Um, and again, another example of how the regulations haven't really worked in terms of improving some of the the back markers as such. I mean, it's curious to think that they did get a podium last year, even if it was Baku. Um, but it, it's, again, it's, it's, you're supposed to be evolving forwards, not backwards, and Aston Martin didn't seem to get that memo. And like we were kind of talking before in the group chat before we started recording for this, this podcast, there does seem to be just a lot of... They've got all the right components and they're trying to put this jigsaw together but they don't know what the picture is, they don't have the box, and the radio that they're using to communicate to each other doesn't appear to work properly, and they keep getting the wrong details to put the picture together, and it's all just coming quite confusing and quite messy and not really doing anything at all. I... Yeah, they're probably trying to run this sort of team over a Zoom call just using Timo's internet connection, and I think that seems to be their downfall. I had a perfect soprano set up for you and you choose to be mean. Is that necessary? <laughs> It's completely necessary. I, it's a bit out there, but I actually... But it is you, so But it on. is me, and I am a little bit unhinged. Um, I think that Aston Martin are actually making progress. If you take away this race... You're right, you are unhinged. <laughs> if you take away this race, with, I think, their new rear wing spec that they've got which is okay a little bit controversial in itself i think they wouldn't actually, be Aston martin if it wasn't well yes i think they're actually making progress because if you take away this race the last four races they've scored points 
which Haas and Alfa Romeo have not. But I think where Haas and Alfa Romeo did so well at the start of the year, they were able to get a real big haul of points, which means that they are still higher than Aston Martin in the constructors. But I think Aston Martin is slowly sort of edging their way up there. To counter that, though, with only six races left, have they left it a little bit too late to start making progress? And Because, uh, again, you only need Aston, not Aston Martin, um, Alfa Romeo and, Alf, and Haas to have one good race of those six, and doesn't matter how much of this kind of continued progress Aston Martin make, they won't, they'll just stay in ninth. So maybe they're making progress, but it's not enough. And also, if you look, it's still... Ultimately, then they'll do worse than they did last year, which when it's all part of this five-year plan that Lauren supposedly has for the team to bring them up to contending for championships, you've got to think we're going into year three of that next year, um, is my official opinion. Don't get me wrong. I think they'll probably stay ninth. But I think if you look, at, if you look at the team... <laughs> if you look at the team themselves they are making progress which is what you want to do in an f1 season and then bring that progress for next year i'm gonna side with ellie mate here if you look at especially lance stroll's performances like there's been some surprising moments from him over the past couple of races where you've just gone stroll that far up in the top 10 where there's they've been able to just with the right setup, with the right conditions, as we've seen with Williams when they were starting to put together a good car, when it comes good, it comes pretty good. And obviously they will have the team would have now started favouring Stroll significantly more than they were prior to this. And obviously that's possibly what I was going to say, you implied that they ever favour anyone else in that team, but <laughs> if anything, they've completely shifted focus all of it away from Vettel and obviously knowing he's leaving to sort of focus on trying to develop things with Stroll who they're carrying stuff forwards. So that's possibly where we're seeing these sort of big leaps from Stroll. The problem there is it's still Lance Stroll. When I was saying you were kind of getting my counter for me there in that sense of if Stroll could do that, imagine what we could do if we had a good driver in there. Drugovic, Jess Hawkins. Yeah. Anyone. A bag of gravel. This, this is the this is the problem. It is it's a case of they seem to be putting together all the right things. They just have one weak link in the chain. Unfortunately, it's the boss's son, and it's pretty tricky to get rid of that level of nepotism. Ellie May, I'll let you go next with your spin. There's, there's, there's a Canadian got... theme here. Yeah, we'll go from one Canadian, moaning about one Canadian to another, and then I will move on to moaning about something else afterwards. So take it away, Ellie May. I don't want to say it. Because he is just a great human, but Nicholas Latifi. If 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 it helps you, you can like a driver. Doesn't mean they're good. There's your there's your uh, get out of jail free card. Yeah, because how can a guy that's never driven an F pom race be better than you? I mean, De Vries did come out the gates and look like he had done two, three seasons of Formula 1 already, he looked confident the way he was driving that car. And you look at the way that Latifi was trying to get it to stop going into Turn 1, he just didn't have the confidence in that car. But De Vries just got it, got it by the scruff of the neck and drove the hell off of it. And potentially this is, again, me being... Because 
Latifi's a nice guy, and equally, he might listen just to podcasts, because they're nice doesn't mean they're good, and you can just say things. It's like you could be a nice person, but if you're shit at your job, you're shit at your job, and you should be fired. Stop trying to be nice to people when but, they're just. It's... But I want to be clinical and find out why he's terrible at his job. Is it because there hasn't been the support for him? Is it because they haven't tried to develop him appropriately? Is there there hasn't been the sort of mental support of it to try and build him up and encourage him and build up his confidence I don't know alternatively is there any so much you can polish a turd your words not mine but I I think there is potentially things that Williams have had as a shortfall that might not have helped Latifi further his career as much as possible within Formula 1 that's all I'm saying on that what I will also say as well is that when we rewatched Latifi go into the first chicane uh, in qualifying when it his car didn't break Martin Brundle said and if it's Martin Brundle then I feel like we it's, just, good. it's yes. good he said it, he, it looked like Latifi braked and the car just didn't respond didn't so how much I mean how much was it that the setup in the car and how much of it is Latifi there is also the other last two years of one points finish in the entire time that doesn't really help him much either. Maybe no, two, two points finishes. Oh. Hungry and Spa. Oh, sp- no, Spa. Yeah, because we count that. Um, it's on the record books. Yeah, lovely. But don't be trying to be pro Latifi for that reason. At least stick to Budapest where you've got an ounce of credibility. You silly floppy haired man. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, when it comes to, especially, yeah, I can see why Latifi has, he's... We've he's fired people who are much better for less. Yeah. Like yes, they have. And equally, Latifi has these confidence issues in the brakes, or getting onto the brakes in this Williams, and the braking hasn't been that car's strong point previously. It never has been. And this year, they've got a car that has a phenomenal top-end speed. And you're going to Monza, a circuit where you're easily braking 200 mile an hour coming into that braking zone for turn one. And it only takes one moment where you get on the pedal and it for a while it feels like nothing happens and all you're looking at is four sets of bollards and foam and you just go... <laughs> That's got to be a fairly terrifying moment. If, even if you're a seasoned Formula One driver... So if you're still going, oh, sh- at that point after two seasons and after Alex Albon comes in at the beginning of the year and also shows that he can just trounce you after being out for a year and you're, and you're ultimately still worried about speed and all that kind of thing which I don't think you are if you're a racing driver anyway because you just put that out of your mind but if that's your concern then you shouldn't even be racing in the first place because you're not focusing on the job in hand and you're kind of letting all these outside things that shouldn't like when the visor comes down it's you in the car and you're one with it if you're having these external worries about it then what are you doing there so you're telling me that a seasoned parachutist the moment their first parachute doesn't open doesn't go sh- as they pull the second one and hope it comes out. Are you saying that, that that's perfectly normal behaviour to not panic a little bit when the one Yeah, because I think the more, pre- the, most, the more experienced you are, yeah, because you will just be like, okay, yeah, this is bad, but let's just tr- let's not worry just yet because there's still a second parachute in that situation. If that one fails, fair enough. Maybe say, oh, shit, we've got an issue here. But until then, Because eh. you've still got a yeah, halo. Still- that's, if, 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 like, if, but... if you brake and the brake pedal somehow makes every part of the car fly off in different directions, then I will say, okay, you can say, oh shit, this is not looking good for me. I might panic here. Maybe what we've actually learned from this podcast is that 
I'm not the unhinged one here. Timo is. That was we, never a secret, was it? <laughs> we've 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 awakened his inner Simon Cowell at this point. His... I just want to have this separation between you can like a driver and them actually being good, and to not have to. And you can't just say that oh they're a nice person, so I won't be mean about their poor performance over a three year period. Eh. I'm just I'm Go firm that he's had some purple sectors through races. Yeah, and, and how long did those last for? Ooh. They, oh they, yes, we've not lasted, invented like, time that can qualify in Spa. That, he yeah. still had a purple sector one. Uh, even right the way through can to we, P3, Latifi was purple sector one. Can we not talk one. about... Where did he qualify? Was it, can we not talk about, was it Hungary? Free practice three? Yeah. I thought that was what he was talking about, to be honest. No. He was, he's, been far, he's had his moments... I reckon we could have seen a lot more from him had he been properly managed. I think the problem was he got to Williams at the time that they were putting all their money and time into George Russell. And that was unfortunate. I think, as well... What's his excuse with Albon, then? His excuse with Albon, I don't know. I think at this point... He's and his excuse with DeFries for a weekend? On a track he's been he's to? A project, before? He's a project that's In gone stale. And the team was... He's a project that's gone stale, and unfortunately Williams have now had to redesign a car. They haven't been able to pour that same amount of money and time into developing their driver. They've had to pour all that. He comes from a lot of money. He should just go outside and sort it out for himself. He's got enough there to to figure it out in the meantime, if you want to take that route. But I think as well, I mean, I've never been fortunate enough to see an F1 car in person move, but I have seen one stationary, and... The cameras really don't do it justice of how big they are. And I look like I look at an F1 car and think, how the hell do they actually drive this thing? I think we don't give drivers as much credit as perhaps they should, even when they're not doing too great. I just think this is something you've been training for your entire life. Those are not the kind of things that you should be worried about. And if you are, should you be there? I mean, Roman Grosjean has that crash in Bahrain and is immediately like, let me get back in the car. Does not give a flying foot. But, you know, it was only the health and safety that wouldn't let him back in there. He wasn't worried about that. So if, if that is why, if that's what Latifi's going through his head about, he's worried there, then no, another reason you shouldn't be on the grid next year. Okay, well, if we're going to talk about confidence in the brakes, why don't we go back to Mercedes in Austria, where both George and Lewis were suffering with confidence on the brakes going through that middle sector into, was it, turns eight and nine, and then they both crashed and stuck it in the wall. Shows that they're willing to risk it at points of It shows they're crashing. willing to risk it, but yeah, equally, Latifi, Latifi, Latifi doesn't... Yeah, because he's not doesn't, confident He doesn't enough, not get in then, the car. Yeah, if he's, he's not confident enough, then bye-bye. But he still gets in the car and races every weekend. So it's not a case of he's like, oh, brakes are a bit dodgy. I think I'll sit this one out, fellas. He's still getting out there and giving it a shot. You've got to give the guy kudos for that. He didn't have a good weekend by a long way. Yeah, well done. You participated. You get a medal. Go drive an Indy car. You get points for coming last there. There we go. Bye-bye. Perhaps he's just doing a Kimi Raikkonen and it's more of a hobby for him. At least Kimi's got a championship (laughs) and a win and a podium and more points. He's just having a good time. Latifi's having a good time. <laughs> we both want to the same point, yeah. Anyway, speaking of trying to have a good time at least, we'll move on to my spinner, which is a bit of an odd one, but it's fans at the circuit. And again, this smugly comes from first-hand experience. It was pretty dire. 
I don't know if any of you saw the queues trying to get into circuit on Sunday morning, but it was apocalyptic. We were camping about 30 minute walk north of the circuit. I set off to get in for F3 at about, would have been 7.30ish, got there for 8 o'clock. So I saw the F3 race, it was good. But as I arrived at the circuit, I went down to the gate entrance at Curva Grande. I could see already the queue forming to try and get into the general admission gate up at uh, the Lesmos. It was huge. People queued for the best part of two, two and a half hours to even get into the circuit. If you went through the main entrance, you were looking at roughly about the same queue. On Friday, it wasn't too bad. They just sort of, You just sort of wandered in. But on Saturday and Sunday, because essentially you've got a crossroads there of people going into the campsite, into general admission for the sort of main entrance of the park, going right to go right down to um, Parabolica or left to go up to turn one, you've got essentially loads of different traffic going different ways. You've got marshals effectively traffic lighting it. And the net result is it piles up all the way up to this main street of just people packed in. And again, people get sort of, it's hot, you people get annoyed and it becomes more and more chaotic. Add into the mix, Italians, it's a terrible stereotype, but it's a tricky crowd to try and manage. So you spend a lot of time queuing, it's badly managed, and then at turn one, which is the only the only grandstands where they seem to have put this in place, you enter the area where the grandstand is and you've got your portaloos, you've got somewhere to buy food, you've got somewhere to buy drinks, you've got a cap stand, cool. And then obviously you have a ticket check, which they do before you go into grandstand, that'd be fine, but they've also got the security check to make sure you're not carrying flares with you, again, fine. The problem is they put that every time you want to go into the grandstand. So if you leave the grandstand to go for a pee, to get a drink, to get some food, you have to be security checked to go back in again, in case you've purchased a flare from the Heineken stand. I don't know. And the net result is that any time you wanted to go and do anything that wasn't simply sit in your state seat, it would take you perhaps 20 minutes to queue to get out of the grandstand and another hour to get back into it. Plus the queue to either buy whatever you wanted, buy tokens so you could buy whatever you wanted, because for some reason they didn't want you to use cash or card. You had to buy tokens to then use the tokens to buy stuff, which was completely nonsensical. Yeah, it's a physical Bitcoin of of a physical cryptocurrency. A currency, if you will, which already exists. Why they tried to invent it, unclear. Um, So that never worked out. And equally, they had a shortage of coins. So regularly, they'd have to go run over to vendors to literally steal their coins so they could give you coins that you'd bought as tokens. So it was all very bad. Why you just play Mario Brothers? (laughs) I don't know. And it just seems like you're just to... running around with a bunch of other people trying to collect as many gold coins as possible to exchange it for goodies, which does just... Were it's, you jumping it... around a lot? Were you wearing a plumbing uh, outfit? There was actually some people dressed as Mario was, Luigi. Was your girlfriend dressed as Peach? These, these are obvious signs that you are, in fact, playing Mario Brothers. No, but I'm writing that idea down for alternate purposes anyway. Um, I want to know what you're into. <laughs> Going back to the security checks as well were kind of stupid because it's about 30 degree heat. Track temperature was getting up to about 45, high 40s, I think. It was hot sitting in the grandstand. You could only bring in a small plastic bottle of water. You couldn't bring in reusable bottles. And if you were carrying a plastic bottle, you had to take the cap off to go into the circuit, which is kind of weird. It meant that usually by the time you'd sort of been jostled through and shown you got your ticket scanned and got up the stairs, most of the water was already gone. So... It was all a bit of a shambles, really, and a lot of people were very angry about the way that it all been structured and set out because you wasted a huge amount of a very expensive ticket just stood in a queue. 
So yeah. I don't know why it annoys you though. You're British. This. You should be used to queuing. Yes, but I don't want to spend all my holiday doing it. It's not a pastime. It's just something I'm well versed at. It was also. I spend a lot of time pooing, but I don't go to foreign countries just to poo. Well, I mean, we'll just move that aside because I don't want to talk about that. But anyway, I feel like if you and I had gone to Monza, we'd probably have entered. We, I feel like we'd have enjoyed ourselves more. We wouldn't be uh, using a podcast to, to moan quite so much about cues. Well, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy myself. I had a fantastic weekend, but there were some underlying problems that that potentially promoters of Formula One need to start understanding the fact that if they're going to have sell-out Grand Prix weekends, they need to appropriately staff and sort out their circuits in advance of this. It seems to be happening at every race this year. They've not realised quite how busy it's going to be because every race has practically been capacity, sold out. However you phrase it, they've hit record numbers and everyone's gone, should we bring in more security staff, more marshals, more gateposts, more security checkpoints, more portaloos. No, we'll just leave them to piss in the bushes behind Monza. It's holy land. It's, it's supposedly good luck to do that at Monza, though. Well, hopefully my luck will change then, because obviously it didn't work for Ferrari this weekend. Well, I definitely didn't just make that up. I think, what, the capacity last year was somewhere around 200,000. This year it was three hundred thousand. You're telling me there were not a hundred thousand Tafosi fans not filling those grandstands last year. I think they just overcapacity it all, and they couldn't handle it. They sold it out as general admission. Yeah, it's what they did at Silverstone as well. They increased how much they could take in at general admission by adding a few more portaloos here and there. There were two water stations at Monza. That's it. If you wanted to fill up a water bottle, you went to one of two locations. The queues for it were astronomical. And, yeah, it's a miracle no, not, no more people suffered from dehydration or heat stroke. There was the Italian Red Cross dotted around, and they looked pretty busy for good reason, because it was hot and people weren't going to pay that much money for a bottle of water when they could have just brought one in. Anyway, end of rant. We'll move on to <laughs> complete change of gear. We'll move on to constructors and drivers countdown. Williams still tails the field, but now two points richer for De Vries' effort. Aston Martin sees AlphaTauri pull away after suffering a double DNF, while Gasly bags four points for the team in P8. Haas go pointless again for the fifth race in a row. AlphaTauri now just a sole point behind them. Alfa Romeo scores its first point since Canada to stay P6 in P5. McLaren edge closer to Alpine in P4. Mercedes take 25 points, but drop away from Ferrari, who net 30, but still steaming off into the distances. Red Bull with 545 points. Hulkenberg is demoted to P22 with Latifi also dropping. New boy DeVries nets two points on debut and at P20. Albon retains P19. Stroll, Joe, Sonoda and Mick are non-movers. Danny Rick drops from P13 to P14. Vettel ahead falls from 12th to 13th. Magnussen is another dropper from 11th to 12th. While a good weekend sees Gasly jump from P14 to 11th. 22 points tying him with the Danish driver. Bottas holds on to P10 while clear of Gasly. Alonso, Ocon, Norris, Hamilton see no changes. Sainz keeps P5 now just 19 points ahead of the Brit behind. Russell ahead stretches advantage in P4 after tying in points post Zandvoort. Leclerc pulls away from Perez in P2 while Max continues his dominant run of wins now 100. 16 points clear. Yes, Max Verstappen still leading the championship and with a pretty big points gap, but we'll get on to the implications of that points gap uh, shortly. First up, though, it is our time for our predictions review. And everyone scored points this weekend, actually, so congratulations to us all. Well done. Including the guest we never actually had on, she also scored points. We had uh, Rebecca Busi who had, gave us some predictions for the Monza Grand Prix weekend, and she earned a point for Charles Leclerc pole. So, congratulations to her. Uh, 
Timo and Ellie, you both scored two points apiece for different reasons. Uh, Timo for the Charles Leclerc pole and the Max win. Ellie made Max win and the Perez power unit penalty. Which, which the only thing I will say to that is, are we counting PU penalty? Because it was an engine penalty. I'm just checking because of wording. That's all. It A power unit is what you refer to as the entire power delivery system. So everything from the engine, MGUKH, MGUH all of it, the electricals. So any of that gets changed, that's a power unit penalty. And Paris took some ICU fights. Stop trying to take my point away. I'm just making sure that if you win this, it's fair and square and we don't have to have a debate about it. Don't go for your good as well as mine. I'm I'm preventing us from having an argument in the future. The the predictions seat championship won't be finishing under the safety car with a last lap sprint or something where we just sort of randomly assign points, don't worry. Uh, Pretty poor weekend for me on the predictions thing. Only the one point for George Russell in third place. It's a weird um, one to get right. Weird one to get right, of all things. I was one driver short of my retirements as well for my Madcap prediction of five. I was getting getting my hopes up at points. I thought Perez, when he came out with that on-fire brake disc, was going to be a surefire retirement. So you were one off on the the retirements, which uh, I did smirk at. It was like, no point for you. Damn, I I need to go through and check how this affects the standings. I'll do that later, but I think... I think it's all pretty much staying the same as it was last time. Yeah. Ellie May still leads Timo in second place. I'm in third. You, the guest is just Have you jumped me. Jesse? Yeah. Oh, oh, yes, yeah, because you weren't yeah. on last time. Oh, yeah, the, no, I did yeah. banging in Zandvoort. The Netherlands got, really like, screwed you over. Oh, I, I did, did really did last week on the predictions and the fancy F1 review. I won the fancy F1 league last week. I was the highest scorer of, out of everyone in our league. And then I also trounced... Jesse didn't score anything. And, I didn't score anything. Ellie May, you scored uh, four, and Timo scored three. three, which was enough to jump me. Yeah, I knew that I had yeah. now taken the lead, but I didn't realise Timo now had overtaken you. That must hurt. You're essentially almost at this point the Ferrari of the podcast. You took the words from my mouth there. I was going to say, I'm very much being Mercedes here and, and getting him. Don't. Don't, don't be so mean. Let's see. What Timo? What did you get your your points for? I'll put them into the into the thing now. So Timo got Charles Paul, Charles Paul, and Max Win. So that puts him there. Ellie May, you got yours for Max the Wynn Max Win and the Perez penalty unit, and uh, it was the Charles Paul that gave Rebecca points there, which sees the final standings up at okay. Ellie May, on nineteen points. Timo on 16, me on 14, and the guest on 12. Ellie May now has a av- race average of over one point per race. I will say, as weird highest... as it was for you to get Russell's third place correct, even weirder for Ellie May to get Perez's PU penalty, considering how early she called that in the week. Yeah, that was called really early in the week. So, psychic powers? I don't know, and maybe. It was... We'll it wasn't my first choice either, and then I was mucking out a stable and I had an epiphany. I thought... Well, it certainly paid off. Right, we'll move on to our next little championship we run. He says logging into the page for it. Don't worry, Jesse, I didn't, uh, didn't do as well this week. I swapped Norris for Alonso and didn't pan out. Oh dear, so we're going over to our Fantasy League review, which I haven't looked at because I didn't have my laptop with me while I was away on holiday. Did and you know he was away, Ali, mate? He's not mentioned it. 
Oh, I just realised I did something absolutely cocking legendary. I don't think it is now that you've said that as your own description of it. I think any man have the right to strip you of that. (laughs) I put Max Verstappen as my mega driver. Well, like I did last week, so you copied me. I copied your strategy thinking he might do it, yep. And uh, sure enough, it paid off. De Vries is is, actually that, scored is eight... that cocking legendary, or is that just, oh, Max Verstappen's doing quite well this evening. Well, I put him as Megadrive for literally any race, and it'll probably work out. Just let me have my little victories, okay? Interestingly, De Vries scores 18 points in the, um, the, the, the Fantasy League bit, because obviously he hmm. got subbed in automatically for... Um, oh, was that an automatic Albon. thing? I swapped him out because I didn't think that it would be an automatic thing, so I swapped him for someone. Oh no, no, he got just basically if your driver isn't there, you just get the their their replacement IRL put well, into your team. So either. he scored, he scored eighteen points there. So who did you swap him for? Is the real question. Bottas. <laughs> Oof! Bottas I thought three, three DNFs points. in a row and then a new engine. Theoretically, that should have been all right, but never mind. Did not pay off for you. Where are we? The Undercut Podcast Fantasy League Review Italy. First place this week. 281 points. Unassailable lead. Second place goes to my mate from my Masters, Daniel, with uh, 267. He also mega-drivered someone this week. He also mega-drivered Verstappen. Sensible boy. Sensible boy. Uh, Third place goes to my other team. Can I not have some fun on my podcast? Can I not be left alone to enjoy this? Uh, third place goes to my BRT Yamaha team. Uh, fourth place, Megan Maurer from the Break Check podcast, who's now mm-hmm. over in the UK, actually. She's here on a year abroad studying. Uh, so we'll hopefully catch up with her sometime later this season. Uh, fifth place goes to Hanson M with 200 points on the nose. Uh, Ryan Braun, GP. And let's go and find where Timo came. P20, 100 points. And... Uh, P12, 177. Didn't do too badly there with the Undercut podcast. Uh, Undercut podcast team, did better, but... did it? Yeah, it did better. Fair play, it doesn't uh, your... usually, so I kind of got to yeah. get too annoyed at that. Did better than the on the your On The Curbs one, mm. so... Good luck catching me now. How does that change the I was not going to catch you in that this season at all. I have one good race and that was last week. Well, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> oh. I am now leading the championship overall. I will just this now happily to... throw my support behind literally everyone else. This means at the end of this, I might have to buy myself a Freddo, which is what we started the whole season off by promising the winner, a Freddo. So, it's kind uh, yeah, of like Clarkson winning that Indian hill climb race. It's not really good cricket. No, we're... Uh... No, there's still a few races left to go. I mean, Alex H is pretty close. You've got to Tejas sub out Max for any Ferrari driver and then just let what happen happen. Make me. All right. Yeah. It's... He's going to spend his time hacking into my fancy Formula One account now to try and do driver changes. Anyway. That's the silliness of our fantasy F1 review sorted. Uh, We'll have a quick look forward in a section I've just entitled Next Time on Formula One. Uh, Will De Vries replace Latifi this season? No. Next. Okay, we'll move straight on from that one to some interesting maths I did while sat on an airplane that wasn't actually going to take off for another half hour this morning. Uh, 
to seal the deal in Singapore, Max needs to be 130 points clear of Leclerc, which if you uh, listened... It's a hell of a point off for one Grand Prix, I tell you. It's a hell of a point off one Grand Prix, but bear in mind that he is currently 116 points ahead of Leclerc. All he needs to do is basically, if Max Verstappen wins the race, he needs to basically ensure he's scored 14 more points than Leclerc. So uh, that would see Charles finish uh, somewhere around P5. Yeah, Charles could even get fastest lap and it wouldn't quite make the difference there. What's most depressing uh, about that is that it's entirely possible. It is entirely possible. And that would see Max Verstappen wrap up the title with still Japan, America, Mexico, Brazil, five races to go, which is pretty early on in the season. Which I think if he does that, it's only good sport for Max not to take part in the rest of the season just so he can actually enjoy it. But, yeah. That's. Once you've won the championship, you have to sit out the rest of the season. I think that's how it should play. That is also crazy when you think that Leclerc has equaled the same amount of pole positions as Michael Schumacher did back in 2004 in a season. Oh. That shows how many points potentially Ferrari and Charles Leclerc have thrown away. Yeah, so basically Max needs to be 130 points clear of Leclerc because at that point Leclerc could win every race with fastest lap and Max could score nothing and that would put them equal at the end of Abu Dhabi. Oh but at that point, Max would have 11 wins, and Charles would only have nine, so on the count back, it would be Max's championship. It's also worth noting that even if he doesn't win a race this year, it's entirely possible that Russell can get P2 off Leclerc. That's very possible as well, because his consistency has been key, and is really doing him some favours. I think we can't count Perez out of P2 just yet either because he's not too far off Charles Leclerc either. But again, if you go for that consistency, neither one of those two has it, whereas Russell has one DNF to his name and that is it (laughs) in terms of bad results. His lowest is fifth all year. Yeah, of of races he's finished fifth. I don't think George is still in contention for the championship. Oh no, I don't. Again, it's, it's not mathemat- it's, I don't think it's mathematically possible. It's still depressing yeah. if you're Ferrari and you're more likely than not going to get beaten by Mercedes in the constructor. It's even worse if you're Charles than if George comes along in that but car pips you without winning a race you the and gets to beat it. Yeah. So, yeah, as long as um, if Charles wants to keep his title fight going, he's going to need to finish in P4 or higher in Singapore. He's got pole in Singapore before, but as Ellie May's already mentioned, that means basically Jack this season if he gets pole. <laughs> so we'll see what happens there. And let's also say you heard it here first on the Undercut podcast that uh, Max Verstappen is the twenty twenty two Formula One world champion because frankly I can't see him throwing it away. In other breaking news, water is also wet. Water is also wet, and Nico Hulkenberg could be going to Haas. Nah. Um, he. He was on the he was the on the four driver list of who could possibly going over to Alpine. It was Gasly, De Vries, Hulkenberg, and one other who I just simply couldn't find, but knew there was a fourth one for it. Um, but with De Vries possibly off to Williams, Latifi off to IndyCar, possibly. Oh, he'd be exciting in IndyCar. Trust me, it would be like Grosjean in his first year again. Except Grosjean's got chaos podiums and points, and a whole other argument I can go back to and refer to earlier. Rewind the podcast if you want to go back to that, but we won't have that argument again. Um, but So it's likely to be a straight fight for that Alpine seat between Gasly and the mystery fourth person. If <coughs> Nico Hulkenberg... Unlikely. 
It's ridiculous if, uh, that it's unlikely when you've got Hulkenberg and Giovinazzi supposed in contention for that. Like, they shouldn't even be considered. Um, Giovinazzi's not in contention for the Alpine seat. Well, he shouldn't be in contention for any seat on the F1 group, but that's a different argument. Hulkenberg to Hess, no, shouldn't be there. Like him, stick him in IndyCar, have a lot more fun with him. Give it to an F2 driver that deserves it, or give it to Ricardo if he wants it, if it's Hess. If not, don't care. Go away. I do not agree with your judgment. There's a surprise. We with bit actually, or not all, just all of it. Ellie May, a big number twenty-seven fan. The biggest. I would love to Which see one's Hulkenberg. Which twenty-seven again? I can't remember. I'd love to see Hulkenberg back. I would literally buy every single piece of merchandise that ever was. Okay, practical question though, because I I like Hulkenberg, don't get me wrong, I like the guy, but what do you think he could realistically do in that house? Oh, become world champion. Even if it is is developed slightly. Realistically, I said, Ellie Mae, otherwise you're going back to the bit of you being delusional from earlier, we can say that "Mm, I'm not the one that's deranged there. If I'm deranged or delusional, we have that kind of balance going. He's becoming world champion in a house. Because Haas is, is mainly white, which means it's the lightest pink colour to make out of all the other F1 chassis paint covers, which means they have well, a lighter really car. This yet, <laughs> which means they have a lighter car. If, that, if, that, if that was the argument, they should have been winning last year, this year. Other years? No, because they don't have they don't have Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg is the oh, key. Oh, that's the one F- missing. It's it's they need to be white and they need Hulkenberg in there. It's, yes. it's completely bombarded if it if it's not those two things. Yes. <sighs> Jesse, I'm not biting on that one. I'm no, I'm not. <laughs> not convinced by that one. It'll be interesting to see what he could do in there. I reckon he's going to be on about par with Magnussen. If he does get that Haas seat, we're going to see similar performances. Which is not uh, great. I would love to see the bromance it, between them. Which, okay, what, take that bromance. Oh, what if they put have it, Hulkenberg put alongside Magnussen? Have it in IndyCar? No. Where they actually have a chance of winning something? No. And give drivers that deserve to be there a chance. No, I want to see this Magnussen Hulkenberg bromance in F one. In F one. In a Hass. You're mispronouncing IndyCar. It's I don't know. It's unlikely that he's gonna to go to Hass. I can't see it happening. And equally he's got to get out of this Aston Martin deal as well, where he is their reserve driver. So we'll see how that plays out as well. But it's Apparently it's on the books. We'll wait and see what happens. Uh, unclear what Mick Schumacher's plans I'm are for next season. I'm tired of drivers in the lower formula being screwed out of seats for no good reason. Yeah, and it's... Gunther Stein has gone on record to say that Mick has a few has races left to really prove why he should still be in that seat. And obviously Mick has now cut ties with his Ferrari driver at Academy, so he's not getting a little helping hand into a few seats here and there. So really got to hope that potentially he is that fourth option for that Alpine seat and see what happens there. I could say stuff, Esty but I don't want to make this podcast even longer. 
yeah, I mean, we're already at easily into the ooh, 1 hour 26 according to my phone. So, moves on nicely to our conclusion. And, Can I... uh, well, we don't really have a conclusion. Uh, well, any May does. My conclusion is that Lance Stroll is the last driver on the current grid to DNF this season. Yeah, he still hasn't DNF'd, has he? He DNF'd in Monza. I mean, aside from Monza, oh, this, where oh, you were yeah. at this weekend. <laughs> True. I probably might have heated. It also just shows um, how little people pay attention to him, that even when Jesse's at the race where he does this, he doesn't even notice. Yeah, you just sort of forget about what Lance Stroll does. Um, well, it really took him that long to DNF as well. That's surprising. What, what year is this in his F1 career? Five? Five, six? When did he join? 2017, wasn't it? Because he replaced NASA. F1 driver. 2017. So, yeah, 2017, 18. No, he replaced Bottas, sorry. Six years in Formula 1. Six years to only make it this far to DNF for the first time in a season. Gee, I don't know why they haven't promoted him to a better team. Yeah. Shocking. But, yeah. Anyway, that's a fun little point to wrap up our podcast on for this evening. Um, you can find most of us across the internet in various places. We'll start with Timo. Where can the people find you? You can find me over on Is It Faster? I've got a brand new Extreme E article out now, as well as On The Curbs, the Nigel RX podcast, Paddock Sorority, and of course, Instagram. Ellie May, where can the people find you? You can find me on Instagram, maybe, for the key takeaways. It really shouldn't be that hard for you to think about. It's the same thing every week. It is, and every time it just gets me stumped. Like, where can I find myself? If only, if, if only we'd written it down somewhere for you to have a reference for it. Or you could... I think the more pressing thing is Ellie may ask you where she can find herself. It's getting to that point in the year where as a Ferrari fan, you're truly... Yeah, there's dead. a nice retreat in the Himalayas oh. that does just that for her if that's what she's after. I might have to. Or you can just, you know, find me on TikTok. Yeah, that's also a good option. Uh, and if you want more of me, you can find me across Instagram and Twitter, as well as if you like print publishing and physical media, you can find me in Classic Car Weekly, where I've got plenty of content around the Goodwood Revival coming out in a couple of weeks' time. So that'll be good fun. Where's the cat off to now? Windows Anyway, this has been the Undercut Podcast. We'll be back again next week with we've got an F2 and F3 review to do as well so there's plenty more content to keep you occupied from us until we get to Singapore Singapore